you're listening to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, presented by Brandon Elliott. This show will be going over all aspects of real estate investing and is intended to educate, motivate, and prepare you to take action on your first or next real estate investment. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Welcome back, everyone, to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. I am your host, Mr. Brandon Elliott. Today, we have a special guest coming in from Vegas. He is a full-time firefighter. He's been in the real estate game investing for the last several years, and it's just amazing type of progress. Also, a lot of learning curves along the way, right? Like All real estate investors go through the knit and grit of some learning curves. And no matter how much learning, how much book knowledge you have, and even sometimes with mentors, right? So we're going to talk about these learning curves. We're going to dive into it to cut the pain, hopefully, away from the listeners, right? So this is one of those episodes that if you guys are driving right now, you're going to want to pull over and take some notes. You want to whip out a a note and, and pen and pad so you can actually take notes on this or... Just listen to it and then rewind later once you get some time. Um, but without further ado, Mike, what's going on, man? How you doing today? My man, Brandon. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm great, dude. How are you this morning? Dude, I am blessed. I am blessed. I'm actually like super behind the scenes right now. I'm actually like super sweaty. I just got done running like crazy before <laughs> this. And, uh, even taking a shower, it's like I'm still pouring, I feel like. it's. Oh my goodness. I'm sweaty too. We're having a heat wave here in Vegas right now. The power utilities send out stuff like, Hey, it's going to be 113. Turn your AC up because we don't want to crash the system. Wow. Like, you know what? It's a good thing I got solar. Keeping yeah. that AC cranking today. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> so, you know, anybody out there that doesn't know exactly who you are, do you mind just diving into like who you are, where you're from, exactly what you're doing? I know you're a firefighter. You've been in the game for real estate last couple of years. What does this look like? Like, who, yeah, who is for you? sure. Cool. Who is Mike Foscaris? Well, hey, what's up? If you're looking at my face, I'm Mike Foscaris and I'm a 35 year old fire captain in Las Vegas with one of the, our major departments out here. And I've been investing in real estate to try and diversify out of my, you know, full-time J-O-B. To be honest with you, I, I love my job, right? Uh, it's more of like, it's a lifestyle. It's a, it's a family. So it's not really a J-O-B. But for those of you that are working two jobs, you know, you know the struggle. So I've been investing almost six years here in Las Vegas. Probably started out similar to how most people do. Maybe came into a chunk of change. That's what happened with me. Sold the first home that I bought made some good money on it here in Las Vegas and decided I wanted to do something with it, you know? And obviously people listening to this, they've stumbled upon real estate and they see the potential in it. And just like I did and wanted to get into it. So I'm, like I said, 35 fire captain, newly married two years. My wife is an ER nurse. We've got a son. He's he's, uh, almost nine. He's an awesome little baseball player. (laughs) And, you know, hopefully trying to get, get one or two more coming. What else can I tell you about me personally? I don't know. Just basically been here in Vegas a long time. Love to travel, been all over the world. And that was another reason I'll segue into this maybe later, but why I wanted to get into real estate because of the lifestyle that it can create. But yeah, Yeah. getting into real estate, you know, now my business is very successful, well-known in my area. And, you know, I wanted to share with your listeners some of the growing pains that I experienced as I was building my business 
some of the small mistakes I made, some of the big mistakes I made, you know, yeah. lots of pain at times, lots of joy. Let's see if we can cut the learning curve on the pain, right? Yeah. So how long have you been in real estate at this point? Just about six years. September will be six years. Okay. And when you realize like you just sold the house, you, you got some money, maybe similar to me in the beginning, you know, I, I didn't have much money, but I had like 10 and 20,000 and it started driving me crazy just sitting, seeing it sit in the bank and knowing, being educated, knowing that, Hey, I'm actually losing money here. Yeah. You know, just the economy and so forth. So it was driving me crazy just having it sit there. So was there any influence around you that was like, Hey, real estate could potentially be it for you or where did you get the inspiration and the education? be able to pull the trigger. So that's a great question. And you're absolutely right. So my uncle, there's probably two things I want to share. One is my uncle at that point in time, probably had about 30 rentals, right? Just passively did it. No education, no training, just a hustler, right? A grinder. And that set him up like that passive income right there was money. And especially he got a lot of this stuff during the heyday in Vegas when things were still cheap here, you know, before the appreciations started happening here and well before the crash. So that's one. The other one is, and I think most stories have this, I saw another guy doing it and I'm like, if he can do it, I can do it. You know, that's like right. that guy's doing it. Like I can do it, you know, and, and maybe you layer in some of the HDTV stuff, you know, yeah. and seeing like how sexy it was on TV and obviously not realizing what it was, but like, I got to do this, you know? And that, that's like part of the inspiration that we're trying to push here. Like ready, set, go real estate investing podcast. It's all geared towards educating people, motivating them and then preparing them to take action. So if, sure. we, if we can just show you that we're just average, basic guys, if anything, yeah. below average here and you guys can do it, you know? So yeah. Like, like we're not rocket scientists here, you no. know, like, but I'll say this, the people that succeed in this business are grinders. They are people that have a vision and they are not willing to accept anything else other than success. Relentless. And that includes all the failures along the way, but they are not going to let those failures stop them. 100% that's the type of people that we are. Truth. I love that. Before we dive into the, the real nitty gritty of, of yeah. a lot of the learning curves, let's talk about your first deal and what that hey. looked like, you know, as the investing side, not the residential. Yeah. And yeah, the education. Were you getting educated by your uncle or, or anybody in the family or just getting out there? Any books, podcasts, whatever. <laughs> no, man. Just hopped right in, dude. I just literally believed in myself, which is amazing. I saw something uh, online on social media, a local guy that I knew investing in deals. And he's a good guy. So I trusted him. I got into some deals with him as a private money lender, actually, first, okay. right? And so my yep. first loan was 50000 yep. Unsecured. Nothing, right? And that was one of the mistakes I want to talk about, right? It's how to protect your money. But I got into a deal with him. It wasn't secured. It wasn't tied back to the asset through a deed of trust or anything. Turns out that he had a business partner who we didn't know this at the time, but he was like a known scam artist, right? And so he was a smooth talker, came in, made friends with my buddy, the one who owned the company and was basically project managing and really behind the scenes steering the ship on deals. And he was stealing our money, right? So we bought deals that didn't meet good margins, you know, analysis that were inflated and skewed to the way that would help benefit this, this bad guy, basically. And he could easily sell to us, especially someone like me with no education and no real ability to understand, right? I think about it like putting a, a lens on, right? Like some glasses. I didn't have the education, the glasses being that ability to like see things clearly, 
right? Mm-hmm. So it looked okay, but it really was all fuzzy and, and pretty bad. Sure. So that's how I got in. I had a couple deals with them too at the same time, about $100,000 of exposure at the time. Did you lose that money or did you ever get it back? Knock on wood. Like I mentioned the guy that I knew, right? Yeah. The actual owner was a good man and good. he lost money. He, he made sure I was paid back. But I would say that that is the exception and not the rule. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. No, so no, that's, especially... That's- that's a huge blessing. I mean, at the end of the day, especially being unsecured, you know, he, they could have done some scandalous things and, and it's awesome that the guy was a man of his word and followed up correctly. Absolutely. No, he's a good man. So I've actually made this same similar mistake, except it was for 160. (laughs) Yeah. And this was back, you know, this was a while ago and something that we're still in the mix of. So I can't really oh, talk wow. more about it, but once after this is settled in the future, it's definitely going to be an episode for sure. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah. I hope you are victorious, my man. Yeah. Well, it's, it's those stupid mistakes, you know? It's the lack of education or the trusting of some people that might not have the right intentions, unfortunately. Right. And it's hard to like know what people's intentions are, right? And I think that they're allowed to be a little bit selfish in the sense that people want to make money. That's why they're doing business. So what's important is having the education to know what type of instruments you need to put in place so that regardless of what someone's maybe ulterior motives are or intentions, that you can make sure your money's at least secured, right? When a property sells that you get paid first before an investor gets paid, you know, the owner investor. So that's how I got into it. And that's when I knew that I needed education. Right. That's what I knew. Like, Hey, if I wanted to be a doctor, I would go to medical school. Right. If I wanted to be an attorney, I would go to law school. Where can I go to real estate investor school? Right. And that's when I started stumbling on, you know, the world of podcasts, bigger pockets was pretty influential in the beginning. You know, you got your local RIAs, networking, the slew of things, the gamut that I'm sure most people are doing. And maybe don't recognize the value in it, but it's something that over time, you're going to amass a tremendous amount of knowledge, right? And it's going to be something that's going to serve you very well as you're making decisions on projects and who to do business with and how to do business. Yeah, no, it's so true. It is really good. So the first couple of deals were basically the private money and and you learned from those, you got the money back, thankfully. There's no additional profits in that and you just got principal or just my principal back. Yeah. No interest. Yeah. I was just happy for that. You know? I hear you. (laughs) Okay, cool, man. So let's talk about some of these other learning curves that actually, before we dive into that, give us the the quick rundown. Like how many projects have you done at this point in those years? It's about Mm -hmm. six years at this point. And what is your main type of, you're doing fix and flips, correct? Is that your main strategy? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, certainly what we're heavy into now. There was a period where we were doing a lot of assignments. It was just, it was easy and like workload wise, lifestyle wise with my profession that ended up being easier than running big projects, but for sure. So we're at like five and a half, almost six years, right? Well, I guess closer to six. We're at about just under 25 projects or transactions. You know, I don't really count an assignment as a project, right? But uh, transactions. So I don't know what that averages out to a little more than, you know, four a year or something about that, you know, so about probably one a quarter pace, right? So it's been very manageable and it's been a lifestyle by design. Concurrently with the fire department, I had a lot of goals that time. I was a senior firefighter at my station and then 
I was looking for promotion to a couple positions. Those are very competitive and require my attention. Yep. So I had competing interests, right? I have like a professional life and then I have this new world that I'm delving into in real estate that I'm putting a lot of energy into, but at times I have goals over here that I have to refocus energy. So that pace was really comfortable for me, you know, just to kind of slow and steady. I think that's the best part. It's like, you can still work your full-time job, be super committed to it and the family man and everything else, but still have this side business, this side hustle going on in just a, you know, short period of time of a few years, be able to make a substantial amount of extra income to set you up with a better financial future, which is awesome. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, goals can change and that's okay. So with the fire department, I've kind of reached, I don't know if it's the pinnacle of my career, but being a fire captain, like I'm going to be sitting in that position for a long time, right? So I'm going to be putting energy into learning that position and making sure that I'm very proficient at it. And I'm, I'm doing the best service to the department and my citizens and my crew. But at the same time, it opened up a ton of time for me to start refocusing on real estate. So right now, you know, we've got a pretty, you know, aggressive goal of completing four projects a month for the rest of the year. So, you know, we're trying to really double down into the fix and flips and, you know, build it into like a legit business that, you know, got system processes, people working in it and cranking stuff out while I'm sleeping. How are you guys getting your leads? So leads is always an important topic. Right now, because we're a smaller shop, I'm relying mainly on wholesalers, right? Like letting them put in marketing money, time, all of that equity into it, and then passing deals onto us. So the reason why I've had success, especially here in Vegas right now, you know, this is 2020. The reason why I've found success is because of the relationships that I've made. The market here right now at this point in time is extremely competitive. So, you know, you've got all the eye buyers and, you know, all the other things that are happening right now at this point in time, and it's tough. So I'm glad I'm not doing the marketing, right? Mm-hmm. So I've got guys that have got billboards, they've got TV signs, you know, they're cranking it like on a big boy level and they're helping me, you know, keep my guys busy and keep deals running. So and those are friendships that I've formed over the years, you know? I love it. And then at this point, are you raising private money or hard money? Always. Or- Yeah, always, 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 right? You always got to be raising money. Because of my track record, that's something that you can only gain with time, right? So for your listeners, just keep doing it. Keep staying active. Keep letting people know what you're doing, that you're interested in real estate, that you're doing projects. Because with that will come credibility that you didn't even intend to build, right? But you have earned it, you know, for sure you've earned it. So there's people now that just see I'm still doing stuff and they will reach out like, Hey, how can I get involved? Right. Similar to what happened with me with that first project. When I reached out, Hey, how can I get involved? There's always interest in this industry. Right. So just put it out there and it's a lure that you can drag along and you don't know when someone's going to bite on it, but they will. Yeah, that's good. Cool, man. Let's dive into some of these learning curves. There's for sure. Yeah, I love it. That you got together, which is awesome because it's going to help out so, so many people. So this is the point in time guys that you definitely want to get out that pen and pad and write this stuff down. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it. So yeah, as I was preparing for this meeting, anytime you're going to meet with a lender, anytime you're going to meet like on a podcast, something like that, you should always come prepared folks. So for sure there was, there was some thought that went into this. What do I want to talk to these guys about? What can I share? So these are my notes. I've got 13 kind of bullets here. 
not securing your money if you're being a private money lender, right? You might hear someone call it a PML. Not getting on title if you're an equity partner. Not having any type of contract, right? JV contracts, lender contracts, right? Not securing your lender's money, which is a common unsophisticated investor mistake, like if you're doing it with friends and family, right? You want to secure their money with a deed of trust. No promissory note, no six critical documents with a contractor. That's something that I can dive into as far as like when you're working with a contractor, in my opinion, the type of documents that you need to have. Not developing a scope of work and having all of your contractors bid off of your scope of work. That way you can have an apples to apples bid between all of them. Yes. Not putting those contractors, whoever you select, on a clearly defined payment schedule with benchmarks, right? Yep. Completion benchmarks. Not getting lien releases, even partial lien releases as you pay them along the way, right? And then absolutely like a final and unconditional lien release at the end. This is an easy one, right? Over rehabbing or finishing a property over and above, you know, what the current market dictates you should bring a finish level to, right? Over improving yeah. it. Yep. Not calculating your ARV, right? After repair value correctly and not running your purchase numbers correctly. So like forgetting to factor in your holding costs, cost of money, you know, versus simply using like a Mayo, you know, a maximum allowable offer type formula, right? A lot of people just use Mayo and they're going to get beat out because they're not going to have actually like sharpened penciled numbers, you know? Sure. That's good. Yeah, man. I love that. It's like a phenomenal amount of learning curves that are just so, so crucial. It really is guys. It's like, these are the mandatory type of things that you should be getting done in order to not have all the pain and suffering along the way. You know, if you set this up properly, you're not going to have the frustration that comes along with, you know, any problems that come up. And just so you know, like FYI, like problems will come up. That's just what it is, you know? Yeah. So it's how you adjust in the middle of these projects. Yeah, like I just had a problem pop up this morning. We're doing a project in the northwest side of Las Vegas, and we pulled the cabinets back, and there might be a little bit of, you know, MOLD in there. We'll see, uh, but we'll handle it. And then when we went into the bedroom, one of the windows was covered up, right? We didn't – we always account – like an overage in our rehab estimates for little things like this, but this is something that we didn't plan for. Right. So it's going to be handled with that overage, but there's a couple windows that are broken that I thought were going to be fine, but they're actually busted. You know, so now I got to replace some windows. So things come up all the time. You know, it's nothing to be worried about. You just got to be prepared. So let's go backwards then on this list and let's talk about the numbers, you know, you brought that up. And it's something that one of my students recently, he didn't, he didn't adjust the miscellaneous type of items, the unforeseen type of things enough. And, mm-hmm. you know, he had, he had a nice little buffer in there, but then again, there's two bathrooms. And as we started replacing some things, we realized that there's actually issues behind the walls and then underneath the tiles. So then it turned into a full gut project and there's two bathrooms. So he was like, Holy crap. There, there goes the miscellaneous <laughs> right away. And some, yep. and like, and hey, some. then we can't afford any additional miscellaneous, God forbid on any other thing. And surprise, surprise, one or two little small things pop up and it's like, Ugh. so yep. let's talk about how you calculate your numbers and come up with your Mayo. Okay. So my Mayo's, I've got a nice analyzer that, you know, I've kind of, 
Frankenstein together over the years, just from doing deals and getting things from guys, you know, sometimes sheets get shared around or whatever, but this is just a basically I think what's that this is just a spreadsheet. Yeah, it's a spreadsheet. Yeah. It looks really nice though. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really, really nice spreadsheet that I've tweaked over time and it's great. There's colors on it. It's great. Yeah. So I think everything for me hinges off of two things, right? You need to have a rock solid number to hang your hat on for what you can sell the property for. Okay. Yeah. One thing that's great about real estate is when the market shifts, it shifts like a cruise ship. It's not like the stock market where something can be announced and the next night, boom, it's done, right? Like you have 10, 15% drop. You're not going to see a change in values like that in real estate. That's one reason why I think all of us like investing and love investing in it because of that. But that being said, you have to have realistic numbers, right? Especially if you're leveraging and you have the responsibility of making sure that you're paying your investors back, right? So you come into it with the mindset that I get paid last, okay? I have to earn my money. I have to do a good job, find good deals, right? And be the type of person that people are begging to lend, you know, to do business with and lend me their money because I'm going to pay them, you know, my, you know, eight to 12% on to my private money lenders, right? No points but they're pumped because they're crushing whatever they're doing in the bank and they're outperforming the stock market 95% of the time, right? With no headache, no stress. And it's secured with a deed of trust, right? So you have to have, my numbers start with a rock solid ARV, okay? I get that through using the MLS. I am not an agent. So here's a quick little tip. If you're not an agent, reach out to an agent, someone that you know, develop relationships with people if you don't, see if you can get assistant admin access, right? And that way you work under their license, you have your own login, tell them what you're doing, offer them some deals, some listings, and you know, pay for it yourself. Don't ask them to pay for it, right? In my area, I think it cost me maybe $300 for the year for the access, right? So it's well worth it. It's nothing. So I have real comps, right? If you don't have that, you can go all the way like to a free service like Zillow, or you can pay for something like PropStream, right? Now I would say those are two good options. Get your ARV rock solid. And we can dive into like how I comp if you want to do that after this. But from there, this is point number two. You make your money on the purchase, yeah. right? Like the deeper you can buy a property, the more margin you have, right? You can account for more profit. And when you have things go sideways, like what happened with your student with the bathroom, okay, that really stinks, right? Like we're eating into that contingency, but what should get compressed? The lender's interest, like what they're due is not getting compressed. What's getting compressed is your profit, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, depends on how you want to look at it. You buy them steep, right? You buy them deep, as deep as possible so that you can make as much money, but at the same time, so that you can give yourself peace of mind. So, oh man. I'm just going to throw random numbers out because every market's different, but I didn't make 50,000. I made 39,000. You know what I mean? Like it's still all good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You want to give yourself some buffers for sure and just set you up for success. So the the deeper discount you can get, obviously when you purchase, that's where the equity comes into play and just being above and beyond, you know, cautious on the miscellaneous because you never know what's behind a wall or, underneath the floor, whatever it may be. Right. So Brandon, I really want to give your listeners some value. So I'm sorry, guys, sometimes I can be a little long winded. I'll keep this short for you. Okay. So ARV, super important. 
And then from there, we're going to work backwards to see what our Mayo is. Right. And so the other things you need to account are just know your cost of money, right? What did you agree with your lender or your hard money lender? What are they going to cost you? So if you know what your LTV loan to value is that your guy's going to give you, if you need a hundred thousand dollars to purchase, they're going to give you 80% LTV. That means they're going to give you $80,000, right? So then are they going to charge you points and what's the interest rate? So multiply the points times whatever they're going to give you times that 80,000 in this example, figure out the 10%. That's annualized interest, right? At least it should be. So make sure it's annualized. Yeah, make sure it is. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, now what do you do with the rest, right? You got 20,000 left for the purchase. You've got whatever your rehab number is, right? Are you raising that or are you blending it, your money and someone else, right? If you're raising it, what's the cost of money there, right? So those are easy things to figure out, right? You just ask yourself those questions, answer them for yourself. Now, this is where people don't go, in my opinion, deep enough, right? How long do you plan on holding the property? You should know if I'm going to do $30,000 in work, what timeline that equates to, right? Is that four weeks? Is that a week per $10,000? You need to find out that and see how long your rehab is going to cost. Then you need to give yourself time to list, right? So look at the average days on market. When you arrived at your ARB, those comps, what were those days on market? You need to account for that there, right? If it's going to take you 45 days to get an offer based upon the data, then account an extra month and a half, right? Then what price point are you in, right? Are you looking at FHA buyers, right? They're going to take 45 days or something. Add that on too, right? You need to look from the time you purchase to the time you anticipate to sell. And then like you, I'm a little bit conservative. You have to be that blend of like aggressive to be competitive, but conservative so that you still make money. Always. You know, add a buffer on top of that. I'm not talking like six months, but you know, you need another couple weeks or a month on top of that just to make sure. Right. So now you have your hold time. Well, you got to still go deeper. What are the taxes on the house? Right. You have hazard insurance that you need to get on the house, right? 1200 bucks a year, let's say. So if you're going to hold it for four months, do the division, right? Utilities, power, water, gas, right? Selling costs. Okay, well, what are my selling costs? I'm going to offer the buyer's agent 3%. I'm going to do a flat fee with my guy. I'm going to do 1% with my guy, my selling agent. What are my escrow costs, right? There's another little quick marketing it. it. If you have a drone or, or photos or staging. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Staging in most areas, I think will cost you 2000 bucks for two months rental, right? Yep. Photos, you should have someone who can do it for high HDR photos and a Matterport. You, in Vegas, I can do that for 250 for yep. most houses, right? Yep. So you have to account for all of those things if you really want to know what your numbers are going to be and if you're going to make the money that you want to make, right? And, so and then just, just like you said, when it comes down to giving yourself an additional extra little buffer for income or sorry, for expenses, I always over expect, you know, if you're yeah. right around 1500, you know, for easy numbers, maybe I'll go up to 2000 or 2500 sure. just in case. And then for income, I always underestimate. You know, if you're right at a thousand, maybe we'll say 750 or whatever it may be just to give yourself an right. extra buffer. And you want to do the same thing when it comes down to time, because yeah. there are unexpected things. There's some things that are going to be slightly out of your control. You have to lead by example, but when it comes down to your contractors or materials and other certain things to get the project completed, 
you know, that might be somewhat out of your control unless, you know, whatever might happen. So you really got to lead by example, but also give yourself an extra little buffer just in case. For sure. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's a great point. And it's something that I see a lot of new investors not being sophisticated enough with their numbers. And you don't need to get into all of this until you know you have a deal, right? You can do yeah. a more Mayo type thing when you're trying just ripping them off, firing them out, yeah. you know, but as soon as you got some traction on something, then you start sharpening the pencil, right? Yeah. And that's the due diligence phase, right? Like when you're trying to get something under contract, I truly don't take, and some people disagree with me on this type of topic, but I truly don't get that detailed, that analytical on the deals in the beginning until I get under contract because you really have yeah. nothing. Like you're, you're having right. a BS conversation until it's in pen and paper that you have this property locked in. Once it's locked sure. in, then you got your 10, 15, 20, 30 day, whatever contingency of doing your due diligence. And mm -hmm. if you have backup clauses in there to be able to get you out of it and get your earnest money back, then you're safe. You know, that's when you can right. really dive into the numbers. Right, for sure. So that's another learning point, right? Having a good contract, having strong language in there that when you show it to a seller, sure. they feel comfortable and they recognize that it's a fair and balanced contract, yes. right? Like it's not just favoring one party. Things need to be win-win in this business. Yep. Yep. And even that alone might be something that gets you a deal because most often sellers are talking to other buyers as well. You're, you're very rarely, are you the only guy and you're in the honey hole, right? So yeah, like, not, not in this market, like it's never yeah, no way. so much competitive, you know, there's yeah, a lot so they're going to look for people that have high integrity and that make a connection with them and that they can see as honest people. And when your contract reflects that, they're going to appreciate it. But to your point, for sure, you need to have, you know, escape clauses basically that protect you. And don't waste their time, but also don't waste your money. It's very, very good point. Also, just for a quick example, this is a very cocky approach. So I don't recommend it until like you get, you know, until you get very comfortable with investing. But for this fourplex that we recently purchased in North Park here in San Diego, it had so much attention on it that I had to be extremely aggressive. So I had to yeah. show my track record. I had to show my resources. And I also, I went $50,000 hard right away. No contingency, no inspections and closed yeah. in 10 days and contingent yeah. on the 10th day. So a lot of times, you know, lenders, you can say close in 10 days, but they'll typically give you an extra day or two wiggle room. Right. Because it normally never closes on that particular day. It usually takes a few days after for the most part, but it was actually contingent even on that. And that was $50,000 hard. And there were several other people looking to get this deal, even pay extra. Um, but they went with me because I, I made it super favorable on their side. In 10 days, if, if we don't close, they walk away with 50 grand and then they just go right back to one of the other, you know, dozen of people that were interested to be able to get this deal. So it's very crucial. Like once you're fully educated, once you're fully I guess just confident in like your team and you got the systems in place, then you can get very aggressive to make it super favorable for the other person. Sure. So you're, you're stealing these deals away. For sure. I love that, dude. That's great. And to allude to something I said earlier, it's like putting a set of glasses on, right? Like you can see the opportunities and you see what moves you need to make on the chessboard, right? Yeah. 
that you would have done anyways, because the numbers are the numbers. So you don't care. Like, Hey, I'm going to buy this thing. I can raise the money. Everything works out. Like I believe in it. So you want 50 hard right now? No problem. But what does that do to the deal? It makes them feel like, Hey, this guy's a baller and he's a a hustler. Like he's going to do it. And well, let's roll the dice on it because he relieved all of our anxiety. We know it's going to close. And if he messes up, we got 50 K easy, no contingencies. He just released it to us immediately. So that's awesome. That's what you got to do in a hyper competitive market. You know, you know, come up with solutions like that. We're problem solvers, right? Yeah. So true. And at the end of the day, when you are locked in contract or even before the whole intention is to get the seller to be confident in you to be able to close because that's their goal, right? Their goal is to sell the property. They want it to be an easy process, but they need to be confident in you to actually do what you say and close. There's a lot of people that can't perform. That's what we call it in, in the industry. And, and then it just makes a bad name and it gets the stress and you know a bunch of other nasty stuff. So really, if you can just paint the picture into the seller that, hey, I can perform. I'm very confident in it. I'll give you all cash, no contingencies. Boom, here you go. And here's my track record. Here's my team. Then you, know, you win them over. So I love that. For sure. Anything else you want to finish on when it comes down to the numbers? No, I think that's good. If people have questions, you know, there's tons of resources out there. Maybe at the end of the show notes, I'll I'll share my information. They can reach out to me. Bro, so how about just for a quick second? I mean, that the calculator that you uh, created over the last couple of years, you feel comfortable sharing that out with people? Oh, that's a good question. Um, You know, I think... uh, I think that's something I might be able to do for sure, especially if they reach out to me and, you know, I might be able to share that. I think that it would help a lot of people out. It would. Yeah. So you guys heard it here first. I just talked them into it. All right. So you guys, this (laughs) this is something priceless, literally can save you guys a retarded amount of money and frustration. So you can quickly run your numbers. You're going to want to reach out to this guy afterwards. All right, guys, well, let's dive into the next one. So, okay. What, let's talk about number 11 basically just not over rehabbing your your finished project you know like the final project a lot of people get emotional i remember my first deal man i started coming up with these plans to be able to build a whole new bathroom a whole new bedroom and the neighborhood didn't even call for it but i was just like you know what i'm gonna do it because doing it it's gonna look sexy and i might be able to get a little bit more for it but if it doesn't call for it it doesn't call for it right i'm building a brand right like people are gonna love my stuff you don't want to get attached and i see this very often i'm sure you do as well and possibly you've experienced it yourself but you know i partnered up with people in the past and just because maybe a carpet looks like old school or whatever it may be if it's brand new and it's in good shape and it's for a rental in a basic you know class area and you're not getting too many complaints about it why change it dude that is gold right there let me give you like a literal last week example of this okay yeah. so we bought a condo and the seller had installed 2 weeks before he sold it to us brand new carpet brand new tile in the kitchen yeah and we do the grays right now with the white, you know, square base case, you know, dark hardware, spring faucet, you know, same thing that, you know, most people are doing. Sure. So one, build a product that people want. Like that's important. Okay. Yes. You've got to build something that will create emotion for the buyer, right? Yep. Build a product that people want. But 
you know, work with your contractors to find good pricing. Okay. But this had Browns, right. And the Browns, yeah. like we would go more with like the gray carpet and the like lighter tile, you know, but why was I going to rip out perfectly good two week old carpet? Right. Mm-hmm. So we just matched the cabinets to it. Right. Mm-hmm. And kind of did a hodgepodge little weird, you know, kind of blend. And you know what? It looked fine. Yeah. It saved a ton of money, right? Saved a ton of time. Yeah. We flipped it. It was a small condo. We flipped it in four days, dude. Yeah. Like my contractor's BA out here. So yeah. that one I might not share. I don't know. It depends. Win me yeah. over when you contact me. I'll let you know who was working with me. We'll see what but, we can get uh, by the end of this combo. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, and if you want to build signature, you can do cool things like you got to think about your price point, right? If you're like at a very low end entry level price point, like this is a condo, we're going to sell for 155, 160, right? We're not doing fancy wazoo stuff in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you're in more like, let's say that mid-level, like second home for my market, that's like 300, uh, you know, 450, right? Then you can start doing something cooler, like an accent wall, right? Or maybe you put, the, you're the dude that puts the Perrier bottles out with like a certain picture and a flower or something. And that can be what becomes your signature. So as agents are going through and they're looking at MLS listings and they're seeing your stuff, they're like, Oh, okay. That's Mike's flip. That's Mike's flip. That's Mike's flip. You know, he's got integrity. He's got quality. He's not going to let my buyers down, which is great. Right. Right. That's how you create a signature, right? Yep. By your reputation. And you know, the higher up in my opinion, this is my opinion only the higher up you go in price point, then obviously the nicer and cooler stuff you can do like, sexier bathrooms and stuff like that. But don't waste your money on when you don't need to, right? Well, don't ever waste your money, but just don't over improve, right? Because you can't force appreciate past a certain point, right? Mm -hmm. By that, I mean, you can't put $30,000 in something. It calls for 30, but you want to put 50 and get an extra, you know, you're not going to get your 20 out of it that you put into it extra, Mm -hmm. let alone profit on top of that. So Mm -hmm. that's all driven by the comps. That's all driven by having that hardcore rock solid ARV, looking at what has sold, what have other flippers done. The best comp are flips within yep. 90 days, right? Yep. If you have a flip that was well done within 90 days, that's your best comp, right? Yep. And then if your market's trending up, then maybe like I would run your numbers on the sales comp. I wouldn't run your numbers on speculation. I would run it based on the number. And then know in your head it that you're probably going to list it a little higher. Yeah. But run, make sure your numbers work off of that comp. I even underestimate just a little bit, just in case, you know, to give that extra buffer, you know? So, um, and, and just like you said, you know, ideally within the last 90 days, it all depends on that comp and, you know, preferably if it's right next door in the same exact type of layout, same exact type of property would be ideal. Sometimes it doesn't get that good, but you can always get your comps, even if you don't have access as like the assistant access on the MLS, you can always simply just, you know, ask several realtors to reach out to you and, um, and just run a CMA for you to figure out what's going on. Overall, when it comes down to these projects, you know, it, it is very crucial to, to look at the, the uh, ARV first and foremost to know, you know, where are you truly going to be at? Because just like you said, you you're not going to be able to over-improve the neighborhood if it doesn't call for it. If it's all three-bedroom, two-baths, and that's what you're working with currently, if you add two additional bedrooms to it and put a third <laughs> bath in there, it's not going to make a difference. 
it's not going to make a difference and it's going to hurt you in the long run because of the cost. So just be weary of that and and keep that in the, in the front to understand. Cool, man. So what's the next one? Obviously we're not looking for traditional financing in this industry, right? Like maybe if we're refinancing, we can be looking for that. But when we're purchasing speed is key. Okay. And that's so the only for- reason why you, and that's the only reason why you wouldn't do the traditional, right? Just because traditional takes time. It takes a long period of time. Yeah. And there's contingencies there's that are out of your control, like appraisals not coming in where you want, you know, uh, exclusions on, let's say that the investor who bought it, it you know, they've got some type of, uh, what do they call it? Not a moratorium, but some type of deed restriction on it because mm-hmm. If FHA, you know, purchase or something, so they can't sell it for more than 120% of the purchase price, you know, weird things, right? So there's different rules that other people get to dictate instead of yourself. I like to make the rules, right? So with cash, hard money, private money, or actually your literal cash that you have, if you got it like that, uh, you know, you're rolling like Brandon, then- Get that credit going and then you credit, you dude. like me. <laughs> That's something that we need to talk about offline. And if you guys are listening to this, you guys probably know that Brandon is a credit guru, but that's something that's really intriguing to me that I'd like to talk to with you more yeah. about. Yeah, but credit's powerful. Yeah, for sure. But you know, when you say that you're gonna give a cash offer, what you're talking about is your speed to close, right? Because otherwise money's money. Oh, I'm gonna buy a house for two hundred and fifty thousand traditional financing or cash, right? Money's money. At the end of the day, the same amount of zeros and decimals and commas go into the bank account for the seller. Yeah, I don't care where. (laughs) Right. What the benefit to the seller is, is the the speed to close, right? And the fact that, you know, you're not going to have any type of contingencies. You're going to buy the house as is. You're not going to ask them to make any repairs. You're not going to have an appraisal that can skew everything up because it came in too low or something. So... That's why we utilize hard money lenders and private money lenders, right? So hard money lenders are, let's just say typical three and two, 10 and two, right? What that means is how many percent, right? 10% and points, two or three points, um, sometimes even higher, unfortunately for us, but it's a cost of doing business. That's why you got to buy these things, you know, under market. That's why you hear no 50 times for every time you hear yes, right? Or maybe more, a hundred times for every time you hear yes. And it's, um, it's also all negotiable. So until you really get a track record, it's hard to negotiate that part because, you know, you, you do need to paint the vision into people. But once you yeah. have a track record, then typically you can negotiate with all these hard money lenders or private money lenders and let them know like, hey, I'm a safe bet. And if you don't, yeah. don't want to lend to me at the rates that I'm looking for and work with me a little bit, shave off a little bit here and there, then I know your competitor will. And then they, yeah. I've been able to get uh, better rates several times for sure. throughout the years like that. And you might even structure something like with a private money lender, you can accelerate that curve, right? Where you're like, hey, our first deal, just so you feel comfortable, I'm going to pay you a couple points. I don't pay my private money lenders points, right? On a normal basis. But I have in the past just because it's a relationship that I want to start, right? And I want them they're not sold on it all the way or like, it's just what I need to do to push it over the edge a little bit. So, okay, they're going to loan me a hundred thousand bucks. I'm going to pay them two points. That's $2,000, right? So again, that means I make 48,000 instead of 50 on a flip. You know what I mean? So you got to understand your numbers and realize a long-term play, but how do we buy them, right? Hard money or private money? Hard money is easy to find. Go to a RIA, 
right? Ask people around that are doing deals. Hey, where, who are you using to lend, right? Do a Google search online. There are tons of hard money lenders out there, both big nationwide hard money lenders and then your local kind of mortgage brokerages that lend out people's self-directed stuff and whatever. So not hard to find. If you're struggling with it, reach out to me. I can help you and put you in contact with some people. Private money is really one of the sexiest types of leverage because it's cheaper, right? You normally have a personal relationship with these people directly and you get to help them while they're helping you, right? Which I love. Yeah, that, that's truly the best part. It, it's not a big corporation. It's your neighbor. It's, you know, mom right. and pop local that just started saving up to a certain point. And now you're going to help compound their success, their interest, their funds that are just sitting in the bank account or sitting in their IRA account. Now you get to actually help them get to their financial freedom, which is awesome. For sure. So I think we're going to title this thing like what not to do, right? So here's what not to do when it comes to lending. Yes. Not talk to people, right? Talk about mm-hmm. what you do. Got to talk. Post online, right? Get on a Facebook or Instagram story. Talk about how you're looking for deals. Talk about how you're looking for money. Follow my Instagram and you can grab the things that I'm posting on there and just, you know, do it up yourself again. Use it as your own, right? And the language that I'm putting out there. Because as you create curiosity about your business and as you start to show forward momentum and success, those lenders are going to come out of the woodwork, right? You can't really anticipate when they're going to come. They just come naturally. And it's a cool thing when they show up, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, those are the two main ways that we purchase. You can also put your own cash in. I highly, highly suggest that if you're putting your own cash in, that's totally cool, right? But pay yourself interest, right? Your money should earn interest just like a lender's money will earn interest. And then the deal makes profit, right? Shoot. If you're not doing that, you are really holding yourself back and you're messing up some things here. I even do it with my credit. If I'm putting in my own credit and I'm still not paying any interest on it, 0% interest, and I'm even moving the money around. So it's not even like, I don't have a high utilization. It's not affecting me in any way. Mm -hmm. I'm still paying myself out even higher than some of my uh, private money lenders, just because I value my income. Like I I value my income. I know I could put this credit somewhere else and make money. So so you want to value yourself 100%. I love that. Right. And as you go deeper down the rabbit hole with this, you know, then there's tax saving strategies that come with it. Like, Hey, your deal didn't make, you know, X, it made Y because you had to pay yourself interest on your money. Right. So you get taxed differently and you can break things up. It's, it's such a cool world, man. Like the, the more time you spend learning about it, loving it, you got to love it. Right. And investing in yourself, the more doors open up, more things you learn and, and really you can find that financial success that allows you to live whatever lifestyle that you want. You know, I just got back when we were trying to set this up, I was traveling a couple weeks in Colorado, right? I hit up Park City, went all the way through Colorado on a road trip with my family. When I got back, we were hoping that we could do it and you ended up going on your trip. And those are some of the things that are great about the lifestyle you can create with this industry. That's right. I mean, real estate can really set you up for living that ideal life. However you want to design it, you know, if you want to travel, do a short little road trip or go across the world whatever that looks like for you, you can, you can design it that way. Real estate has been able to bless us in exactly that form. So Mike, we got a few minutes left and then I do want to get close to wrapping it up. I want to talk about like number seven and eight a little bit, just 
you know, number eight is basically just developing your scope of work and having the contractors bid apples to apples. This is something yeah, that yeah. I screwed up with originally. And a lot of other students of mine in the beginning, I've seen them almost make that mistake. So if I'm seeing other people make that mistake, I'm sure that's something that we should touch on for a second. And then also just sure. the six critical documents that you want to have with your contractors. What does that look like? Okay. So I'm pulling them up right now so I can make sure that I don't misspeak here. Yeah. Here we go. Six critical documents. Okay. So it starts off with always, 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 right? You want to protect yourself and protect your investment, protect your lenders with like a contractor's agreement. Okay. okay. So most of the time, any contractor that's worth their salt will have an agreement on their end. Okay. And they're most likely going to want to push their contract. I like pushing my contract, right? Yeah. Because I'm comfortable with it and hopefully I can articulate it and make them comfortable with it. Again, it's a document that is very fair win-win, but I have no idea what their language is going to look like, right? It's most likely I'm going to assume be skewed to protect them versus what I have crafted is something that is going to protect both parties, right? Like for example, I have a clause in there that says, you know, we determine a timeline, right? So if they don't have the project completed by a certain timeline, I may, doesn't mean I will, doesn't mean I must, it means I may, right? I have a little bit of leverage over them, charge them, you know, penalties for, for not completing it on time, right? Sure. You work with any legitimate, like construction company on a commercial job or something like that, there's penalties if you don't complete on time, right? Why would it be any different for this? But on the flip side, if they complete early, I pay them money right? And it's more than what I'm charging them, right? It's, mine's a small, it's a hundred bucks a day, yep. but I'm paying them 150 a day if they complete early, right? So yeah, that might eat into my profit a little bit, but I don't like, we're talking marginal and I'm building relationships with them. I'm incentivizing them to work efficiently, right? Obviously I have final say on when it's done. It's not like they can just rush through a job and I or my designee goes and looks at it and Hey, this is a, bad job. You got to finish it. Right. So they have to do quality work and incentivizes them to finish early. Another really important clause in it is that they have to be respectful of the neighbors, right? It sets work hours so that they're not starting too early or working too late, right? You want to keep your neighbors happy and be respectful of the neighborhood, but also that they're going to keep the place clean and broom swept after the end of every workday. Cause I might want to take a lender through there and I don't want the place looking like a junkyard, you know? So we're leaving um, nails out in the street or anything like that, that neighbors could run over and then happen. You. It happens, you know? Yeah, it can't happen, dude. So that's the contractor's agreement, right? So that's critical document one critical document two is having a scope of work, right? So that scope of work is going to be the, the playbook that they go by, right? That can be developed when you form a good relationship with a contractor. Maybe they can play an integral part in developing the final scope of work, right? But in the beginning, when you're going out for bids, that version of the scope of work should be like, hey, what are we doing to the house, right? Do a little bit of time investing to figure out what paint colors you want, right? What's your wall paint? What's your white going to be? What door color do you want? You know, things like that. It's not too hard, right? Write those things down, save them so you can plug them in later, right? What type of flooring are we doing? What type of carpet? right? Where will it be carpeted? Where will it be tiled or, you know, LVT or whatever you're doing? What type of counters are we using? Yeah. 
you know, pick out your door hardware, pick out all that kind of stuff. And that's what's in the scope of work. So as they go room by room, they're like, okay, in the kitchen, this is the work that's happening in this house, right? We're going to save the cabinets, but we're going to refinish them or we're demoing the cabinets and we're going to install Mike's cabinets and they're listed there, right? The point is that you are the investor and you or your designee is the one that's designing your flip, right? And picking out your materials, not the contractor, okay? You want to be in control of that. So you don't want like two or three different contractors coming in and just saying like, Hey, what would you do if I was going to remodel this house and show them photos of what you want it to look like or the comp that you're trying to match and then let them figure out how to get you there. You're telling them how to get there, right? That's the scope of work. And then to add on to that, when you get your bids back, you want them line items. Okay. And you really want to push for that. You want to know what materials are and what labor is, right? Not just, Here's my bid for one, two, three Main Street total. Like, yeah. uh, never, no, never, ever. No. You'll, you'll get screwed over in a heartbeat, just like that. Yeah, always want to find items because there's going to be certain things that are going to be affordable. There's going to be other things that you're going to want to negotiate or hire out to somebody else because they're cutting corners that might not be their expertise, and they're going to charge additionally for that. Yeah, for sure. That's a big, big like tip right there from Brandon because they'll get you there, right? Excuse me. Number three is payment schedule timeline, right? With benchmarks. So you should know, right? Ask them, include them in this process, right? Like get buy-in from the contractor once you select them. Hey, how long is it going to take you to do this, right? Like I think that somewhere between seven to $10,000 in project and renovation costs should equate to about a week, right? Depends on your contractor, And if you are managing it or if they are managing it, right? Because schedules can get complicated if you're project managing every trade, right? But, you know, so maybe you go with more like $7,000 per week. But just for example's sake, if you have a $50,000 rehab at $10,000 a week, it should run you five weeks, right? To do that rehab. So you want to line out how much they're getting paid per week and what the benchmarks are per week, what they have to have completed to get paid. And you line that up with their bid, right? If it's a line item bid, you can put what work they're doing, how much they say it's going to cost. And if they only got, let's say it's flooring and it's 5,000 bucks, they only did half the flooring, then you know, you pay them 2,500 bucks, you know, like. Exactly. That's the pro tip here. I was just about to say that. Don't ever, by the end of the week, if they haven't hit that benchmark, then they don't get paid that full amount. You know, if they're missing any little items and they're like, oh, don't worry about it. We'll get it done Saturday or first thing Monday, it's like, that's cool. You know, that's on you because we do have a timeline as far as getting, you know, a deadline, but you can do it however you like, but you're not going to get paid until then. And most contractors are that every Friday need to get paid type of mentality. So it's going to put some gas underneath them to, Hey, let's get this right. So use that to your advantage, right? Like set your schedule up where you do pay them every Friday, right? So they can have that cash flow, whatever. I think that the contractors that you find that are going to give you a pain, right? And they're going to be hard to work with are going to be people that have cash flow problems, right? And so just as a rule, I would try and avoid working with them. But if you have to, then A, get ready for some interesting conversations, right? And and B, like have it very, have the expectations written down and not even just written down, but even recorded. Like video recorded, even with the scope of work, I've done the scope of work does, if anybody is just like me, 
you're never going to be fully prepared with your scope of work. And I get my scope of work is detailed to every little thing. I, I have the list so I can check through it, but there's still something that comes up every time I do a project. I, I haven't mastered this yet. There's always something new that comes up on there that it's like, hey, we miss this. We need to change it. We need to add to it. So it's very important to have those in there and then also have it video recorded walking around the house with your contractor knowing exactly what needs to be done because yeah. otherwise there's going to be and payment schedule and everything. Otherwise there's going to be some transparency, miscommunication, frustration. And yeah, especially if they're the type of person that isn't great with their finances. Right. For sure. Sounds like you've been there, dude. So number four is like, indemnification and insurance agreement, right? So basically what that means is they're going to have insurance. They're going to have workman's comp insurance. They're going to hold you harmless, right? Should someone get injured on the job site working, right? And that's going to fall under their umbrella, right? Of liability. That's pretty standard on any, like I said, any other big commercial job site, right? Or if you're a track home builder, you know, they're going to have those types of agreements with the owners, right? Like we are going to have those types of agreements with their contractors. We should have them in place too, right? And it's not because we're worried that anything is going to happen, like actually going to happen. But in that one-off case, this is an easy document to fill out. They should be covered with their liabilities anyways, right? And what we were trying to do first and foremost is protect our investors, right? You got you to gotta plan for the worst and you know, hope for the best, but plan for the worst, but be covered. And right. also on your side, you can always get the best of the best type of insurance to make sure that you're dealing with somebody correct that, that will fully take care of you. So if you guys need any type of help with that, I have a special connection that, that will get you guys the, the best rates, probably cheaper than what you're paying naturally and, and truly get you covered properly. Most people are getting uneducated by the insurance policies that you truly have. They're probably not fully covering you. Right, right. And God forbid you got to use it, you know. Yeah, yeah. That one-off chance. Yep, exactly. Yeah, you want it to perform. Number five is having them fill out a W-9. You got to do that early. That's Uh, like when you're starting everything. Don't do it later. Do it in the beginning before they ever get paid. These guys down afterwards, after they get yeah, their good you know, luck. You like you're, you'll find Sasquatch before you find these guys. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, getting that W nine is like imperative. There's no debate about it. And then lastly is having a final unconditional lien waiver signed when you make your last payment. Truth. You know, you don't want the property to be encumbered. Now, I don't want to scare people when I'm talking about these documents because this is more like, in my opinion, keeping honest people honest, right? Yeah. But that doesn't mean that it's not the way you should do business. So it's just like you mentioned, it's like the rare case. It truly is. But so it's very rarely you ever need these. However, however, and this is not all of them, like just a majority of them, rarely that you would need them. However, you want to have them because it's the simplest thing in the world. If you just get it into the routine of your systems of having this prior you know, it takes 10, 15 minutes to get everything signed and it's just routine and then you're fully protected. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So that's it for the six critical documents. You know, that's what I call them. So you got so much knowledge behind it. You got ridiculous amount of just prosperity in you with the learning curves that you've gone through. And I know this episode has helped out a ridiculous amount of people at this point. I'm super blessed and thankful to have you on. Yeah. Thank you so much. Me too. 
Bro, you just gave over an hour of your time. What can the listeners or myself do to give back to you? Oh man, that's great. Well, I mean, for sure, like I mentioned with you, Brandon, I'd, I'd love to talk to you. I'm very interested in your credit course for those still listening. Hopefully I didn't bore you. Dude, hit up Brandon on this credit stuff because this will open up a whole other world and potentially even a little bit add to your life of leisure, if you will, right? If you, if you play the game right. Damn but right. Uh, yeah, I'd love to do that with you. But where people can find me is, you know, I'm on Facebook. Yep. You can search for me there, Michael Foskaris. That's F-O-S-K-A-R-I-S. It's a Greek name. I won't have this sweet mustache. I just got back from traveling, right? And so I had this beard, but I have to shave it before I go back to work. I just went back last two days and I was like, I'm going to shave it into a stash, right? So yeah, leave it in the comments. Do I look like Mario or does it look good? I don't know. <laughs> it's a good <laughs> Mario, bro. I love it. It's yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, brother. But, uh, you know, I'm on Instagram. My Instagram is Mike Foskey, F-O-S-K-I. You know, I'm on LinkedIn, bigger pockets, like I'm, I'm pretty much everywhere. I, I like people, so I'm a social guy. But what I'm looking for are either, you know, if you have any listeners in Las Vegas, like myself, I'd love to do more deals, partnerships, JVs, lending, whatever. Yeah. I am also looking to, you know, expand outside of Las Vegas, right? And maybe in some of those Midwest communities where, you know, there's a little bit more low hanging fruit and not as much investor competition as we have on the West Coast. So Anybody who's listening, if you're a, you know, I don't know, a broker or, you know, REO agent or something like that, and you want another investor buyer, or, so let's just do deals, man. Like, that's it. Like, let's, Ooh, baby. let's, let's help it. each other out, you know? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Guys, I highly recommend you to reach out to this man and just take him up on, first off, that calculator because yeah, he spent a lot of time and energy and that's something that's priceless. You know, you could easily pay hundreds or thousands of dollars to get something like that. So but connect with this man, do business together, you know, take him out to lunch, coffee, whatever it may be, and do a little bit of gambling in Vegas, enjoy yourself. But with that being said, guys, I appreciate your time so much. I, I know this was an awesome episode that you guys found tremendous amount of value. Make sure you put a comment wherever that you're seeing this. You can check out the video on YouTube as well. And yeah, if, if you guys need any type of credit help whatsoever, if you want to get educated on credit to be able to really leverage it, build it up, fix it, uh, you know, take it to the next level and, um, and really, really make a huge ROI on your credit. So you don't need to worry about the hard money or private money to a certain degree. You know, credit education will take you far beyond your wildest dreams, truthfully, and, and set you up for a tremendous amount of financial success. You can always check out us at creditcounselelite.com. If you need credit repair done for you, then that would be creditrepairmobile.com or just reach out to me. You can find me on Instagram. It's Brandon Elliott Investments. And then on facebook.com slash Brandon Elliott Investor. If you guys have any questions whatsoever, I'd love to connect with each and every one of you guys. Make sure you hit that subscribe button so you get the newest notification every single Monday and uh, leave a review. Let us know what you guys think about it. Also, if you want to tag me in, uh, I'll give you my book. I'll give you my book, Action Driven, absolutely free for you guys. If you guys tag me on social media that you are listening to the podcast. Next time you listen to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, just take a little screenshot and send it to me, tag me in it, and I will I'll promote you out on my page as well, but I'll send you my book, Action Driven, absolutely free. So there's a lot of 
crazy stuff in here that you guys will find a, a lot of value in. So appreciate you all so much. Mike, you are the man. I, I really do nothing but value from you. So uh, greatly appreciate your time, brother. For sure, my man. Thank you so much. Appreciate you and cheers. Yeah. God bless, guys. Peace out. This has been another episode of Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by Brandon Elliott. For more information, please visit brandonelliottinvestments.com. Also, please don't forget to like, share, and leave a comment below. Thanks again for joining. Until next time, God bless.